0: Hello, and welcome to Off Our Necks, a podcast about women and the law. I'm your host, Jennifer L. Brinkley, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies at the University of West Florida. Off Our Necks is derived from a quote from the abolitionist Sarah Grimke. She was born in 1792 and worked to end slavery and fought for women's rights. Her famous quote, which inspired this podcast, was, I ask no favors for my sex. I surrender not our claim to equality. All I ask of our brethren is that they will take their feet from off our necks. My guest today is Alyssa Hirschfeld, who balances a psychotherapy practice with parenting and writing. She studied art history and psychology at Harvard University. After earning her master's in counseling psychology, she wrote academic articles which have appeared in the American Journal of Psychiatry, Creativity Research Journal, and The Therapist magazine. She is the author of a memoir. This Whole Wide World is Just a Narrow Bridge, and a novel, Living Waters, From Harvard Halls to Sacred Falls. Ms. Hirschfeld is active in the Duty to Warn movement, warning about the danger this president presents to the public mental health, and has blogged about the intersection of politics and psychology. These interests led to her collaboration with Amy Roost on a book called Fury, Women's Lived Experiences During the Trump Era which is published by Pact Press, an imprint of Regal House Publishing. Today, we are discussing her essay titled, Trigger Warning, The Supreme Court May Be Dangerous to Your Mental Health, in the book, Fury, Women's Lived Experiences During the Trump Era, which she co-edited with Amy Roost. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I wanted to start by reading part of a review from the back cover of your book, um, by Amy Westervelt, it says women are still, in 2019, discouraged from viewing the world or politics or our surroundings too much as women. We're discouraged from so-called identity politics and made to feel silly if we feel personal grief at the idea of a sexual predator in the White House, the Supreme Court, and probably every other branch of government. This collection gives a defiant middle finger to that idea. In it, women discuss how their gender, racial, and sexual identities have all come into play in their experiences of the Trump presidency, and move quickly past Trump himself to the systemic failures he represents—patriarchy, white supremacy, and toxic masculinity. It's not a wallowing, but a reckoning. Would you describe the essays in the book that way, as somewhat of a reckoning? I would. I think um, Amy and I
1: discovered that a lot of the essays in the book sort of move through an arc of um, responses to either the 2016 election or to the presidency itself and the policies that that start to be enacted um, in 2017. Um, so first, you know, there's a lot of the emotional reactivity and, and anger and fury that that are um, diverse group of writers felt, Um, but it moves from that to how they started to feel, how various women started to feel more empowered, and then various actions that they took, and then even to a place of hope. Around their growing empowerment and, and speaking out and activism.
0: So before we get to your individual essay in the book, I, I wanted to discuss what inspired the anthology and how you and your co-editor, Amy Roost, became involved with this project.
1: Well, so um, I think that we, uh, you know, we each had a strong response to the 2016 election, we each had our own response. And then once we were introduced to each other, we realized that we had a common goal in wanting to bring this book to life. So Amy was really motivated during the women's marches and um, seeing the uh, collective energy arising from from women in the women's marches right after the election. Um, I, as you said in my introduction, you know, I Was hearing uh, different clients' reactions in my psychotherapy practice, including anger and grief. Along with that, you know, feeling my own um, fears and and despair. And I started to blog uh, about some of what I was seeing in terms of um, the president-elect's narcissism and the the collusion and codependency of um, some of his political enablers, I would call them. And so, um you know when amy Amy actually approached me with the idea for this book, and um I thought that it would be a wonderful thing to give women this this mouthpiece to to express um, some of that what they were feeling and and also some of the actions that they were some of the political actions that they were taking.
0: You mentioned you're a psych- psychotherapist, and um you know following the election. Was hearing this type of despair and disappointment and anguish, I would imagine, from some of your clients. Did you hear that as well in the months leading up to the campaign, up to the conclusion of the campaign um, and the election, or did it kind of really start um, bubbling over once the election occurred?
1: I think it bubbled over once the election occurred. But I know that I had, I was already having discussions with some women friends of mine. I was in actually a, a women's group and we were worried, um, even before the election from, you know, seeing the, um, the, the vitriol arising at, at Trump's campaign rallies. And I remember we talked about the fear that we had that even if he lost the election, you know, there would be, there was all this, um, vitriol in, in the, in the environment and in the public and we worried what would happen even if he lost. So we as women in that group, you know, were we're very concerned. But from clients it's actually I should say when the Access Hollywood tape came out, women in my practice did start to to talk about their concerns and and their fears and and some of them actually talked about feeling uh, afraid to be women in in this country, you know, because already we were seeing that um, the accusations against Trump seem to be being swept under the rug or minimized or, or unheeded.
0: Yeah, I remember when that video came out and feeling, well, well, this is it. This is going to be, you know, the nail and in, in the, this coffin. Like, you can't, You know, succeed after something like this comes out. And then just feeling incredibly naive about having that perspective. Exactly.
1: I felt the same way. I felt like this has got to be his
0: downfall.
1: And then I was amazed when, you know, once again, he was Teflon, he was Mr. Teflon, and it just seemed to bounce off him.
0: So you all, um, categorized your essays in this book under different headings so the first section is our bodies and then the next section ourselves followed by our families our people our work and our perseverance what made you all come up with those kinds of uh sections for this anthology
1: well we were looking at um natural ways to categorize the the essays and it seemed to it seemed to make sense to move from a more personal inner experience towards more of the collective so we sort of you know because a lot came up for women around body safety and integrity, you know, in light of some of what we were just talking about, and then moving into sort of senses of ourselves. um, You know, so sort of thinking of concentric circles, you know, so ourselves and then spreading out to our concerns for our families, because many of the Um, women writers in our collection write about their experience as parents and trying to explain what's going on to their kids um, or trying to include their kids in some of their activism. And then, you know, spreading out beyond that to the next concentric circle of our concern for the wider community, including in our work lives, you know, so whether as teachers or psychotherapists or writers you know, the, the concerns we had for our clients or our colleagues or our students. And then again, you know, following this arc of despair to more hope, you know, the final section has to do with, with various forms of activism and, and perseverance.
0: And in, in one of your essays in the book, um, as I mentioned in the introduction is titled trigger warning, the Supreme court may be dangerous to your mental health. You discuss the confirmation process of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court. Um, we know that he was confirmed and is now a sitting associate justice. But what inspired you to write this particular essay? So it was during that um,
1: his his hearing and when um, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified that I saw really so many of my women clients talking about their reactions to the, to the hearings, you know, and that's where I heard um, more of this fear of fear about their, their safety as women. Um, I think there was both from some women, there was a sense of um, empowerment around hearing Dr. Ford's testimony and, you know, admiration for her courage and identifying with her in in a sort of empowered way. But other women uh, clients felt fearful, you know, um, fearful for her, you know, sort of aware that they themselves would be afraid to confront their perpetrators because of the ramifications, some of which we saw actually after, during, and after Dr. Ford's testimony. You know what she went through in terms of. The threats and the having to go into hiding and all of that. Um, so um, that was sort of a pivotal moment where I really saw um, politics coming into my psychotherapy sessions. And by the way, you know, I've been a therapist for 25 years or so, and never before have political conversations been so much a part of of my sessions with clients. So I really saw how this was striking a chord, um, of, of fear and, and anger in, in my women clients. And so I wanted, I wanted to write about that. And I also wanted to sort of educate people about, um, the experience of, uh, sexual assault and rape survivors and why it's so difficult for them to come forward. And, You know, and why their their memories are not always linear or um, or completely coherent. So I thought that, you know, that needed to be addressed, too, because, you know, I was hearing in the media people discounting Dr. Ford or not believing her or, you know, all kinds of criticisms of her. Testimony. Yeah, I,
0: I found your essay very educational in that respect. You stated that after those uh, confirmation hearings, the American Psychological Association issued a statement reminding us that sexual assault is likely the most underreported crime in the United States and that two thirds of sexual assault victims don't report their attacks to the police. Why is that number so high? That that underreporting of of sexual assault. I
1: think because there's a lot of shame involved um, for um, women who are who are the victims of sexual assault or rape. There's a lot of you know women very often seem to question themselves in, you know, in, in all kinds of situations. So even when they are the victims of attack, you know, they tend to question, did I do something wrong? Or did I bring this on myself? Or was it my fault? So there's, there's that aspect to it. There's, there's also being afraid of, of judgment around it, you know, not wanting to be too public, because they don't, you know, they're, they're fearful of people's reactions, again, because of, of shame, or, um, you know, because of the, um, the, the delicacy and vulnerability of what's happened to them. Um, So, you know, some of them don't want to make it a public matter. Uh, some of them don't want their families to know because they feel protective of their family's feelings. So I think I think that those are some of the reasons. I think it's often also difficult for women to get in touch with their anger, um, which is part of I think what's what's unique about this book is that we're giving a voice a voice piece for women's anger. I think women are more tend more to go into depression rather than anger, and so again, you know, anger tends to be. Motivating and activating, whereas when people fall into depression, they tend to be more internal and withdrawn.
0: Did you have any difficulties at all finding contributors uh, for the book? Uh, no, actually, we got we got um, meant dozens and dozens
1: of submissions. You know, more than we could include in the in the anthology. So we didn't. We put um, Amy is. A journalist and a writer by profession, so she put out a call to many of the circles of writers that she's part of. Um, I reached out to writer friends as well, and so you know we had yeah we didn't have any problem getting getting submissions and and getting people getting people who were interested. And I think you know we really tapped into a topic that that women were eager to to write about and speak about.
0: I wanted to read the last paragraph of your essay. You state the National Sexual Assault Hotline reported a 200% increase in calls during Judge Kavanaugh's hearing. This suggests that in witnessing this administration's contempt for abuse survivors and its inclination to protect, excuse, and even elevate those accused of assault, like Judge Kavanaugh and indeed the president himself, Victims are advocating for themselves in record numbers. The midterm results, which saw a record breaking number of women from diverse backgrounds elected to Congress, also demonstrate that our voices are resonating powerfully with the electorate, a cause to celebrate. One can only hope that the media attention generated by Judge Kavanaugh and Dr. Blasey Ford bends the arc of the moral universe toward awareness, empathy, equality, and justice, and I just love that because it does, it does make you feel like maybe there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I just really wanted to highlight the last paragraph of your essay, which I I loved your essay. I love a lot of these essays in this book. It's so powerful. Um, but I really, really love that uh, last paragraph because it does. I, I think it's easy to get caught up in especially now in pandemic times, so much negativity, but this idea of, okay, we're bending this moral arc is really a powerful statement. It is. It is.
1: And that's, you know, when I, when I read that there was such an increase in, in the calls to the national sexual assault hotline, I felt, um, you know, I, I really felt that, that this, okay, this is something positive that women are, you know, this isn't making them more fearful to speak out. This is actually making them feel um, like their support for them to to speak out and come forward. And and this is what, you know, this is what really needs to happen to, um, to change the culture. And, you know, we see, we saw, we see the same thing happening with the Me Too movement, you know, in terms of like, you know, a couple of women start to speak out and then more and more feel like, oh, you know, it's okay to, to, Pull the wool off and, you know, talk about what's what's really true in our experience. And I think um, uh, that that's that that's really powerful. There's um there's actually a quote that I have on my desk um, by Terry Tempest Williams. And it's the quote is, if we as women speak what we know in our bodies, when there's no one to correct us, the world will shift. And wow. um, I kind
0: of think about that. Wow, that's a beautiful quote. Yeah. So, what has been the response to your book so far? Oh, it's been it's been very very
1: positive. It's been you know we've gotten I mean you read uh, one of the positive reviews. We've gotten you know we've been featured in in several in several uh, magazines and and reviews. We've done. Amy and I have been interviewed by um, by a number of online and and in print publications. Um, and you know, we're getting, we're getting great reviews on Amazon and on Goodreads, um, and people who are tuning in, we've done some virtual book talks, um, and we've had great response, you know, a lot of uh, people tuning in for those and and great response from those. So, which is, which has been wonderful. We were, you know, we were disappointed because the book came out, it was actually released on March 20th. And so the... (laughs)
0: <laughs> you oh, know, the,
1: no. yeah, we had we actually had book readings scheduled in bookstores and on college campuses across the country. And we were looking forward to those. You know, um, Amy was going to be attending most of those. I was going to be attending some. And then we had our various contributors who live in different parts of the country who were going to, you know, each going to be coming to the ones in their city. So, you know, it was going to be like this great you know, release party, and of course, that didn't get to happen. <laughs> it's been—it's a horrible time for for book uh, releases and book sales in general, and for you know, for our independent press, which has been so supportive. Packed Press, which is part of Regal House, it's a—it's a women's run um, press, so we're, you know, we've been grateful to them, and and really trying to trying to give them support. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, among the folks that the book has reached, the their response has been um, wonderful.
0: Yeah, I was lucky enough to be introduced to your book through one of those virtual book talks at uh, Politics and Prose and uh, really enjoyed hearing From those that were there reading their essays and discussing this book. And I remember texting several of my girlfriends, I'm like, you have to get this book. And I ordered it that day. That's great. Um, I'm really happy to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) What types of writing are you working on right now?
1: I'm writing um, more um, personal, sort of a a combination of um, what I'm going through in my personal life and how that's coinciding with. Um, being in social isolation during this time of the pandemic. Yeah, I basically, I just recently went through a divorce. So I'm sort of writing about that, how, you know, juggling the aftermath of a divorce in light of this pandemic experience.
0: I I follow a lot of law professors on Twitter and there's kind of, and and just some academic I guess what we call hashtag academic Twitter um, as well. And a lot of individuals are expressing this notion of just having such a difficult time just with writing during this pandemic. It's, it's, you know, some people have explained it as their brains feel mushy or their um, attention is lacking. And it are you having any issues with your writing goals or are, are you able to, to kind of, maintain what you had before this all hit in March? No, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, I, I did a,
1: a writing workshop and I found it a little bit hard to, to focus. I think because of um, people are actually writing about it, this, the stress of, of all of this, you know, it, the, they're calling it an uh, allostatic load, is part of this pandemic brain fog that we're experiencing. So it's basically like just the exhaustion just from you know the the cumulative effect of all of this stress even if we're not, you know, even if thank god we don't have a loved one that's affected by the virus or if we ourselves are not affected, you know, just the stress of being being home being socially isolated not being able to go through our normal routine you know it's it's very stressful and it's i think interfering with people's concentration and um i've definitely been experiencing
0: that in terms of writing and i've i've heard my colleagues talk about the same thing i like that description you use that pandemic brain fog i think that that sums it up for me perfectly (laughs) Uh uh-huh are you having that too I am. I mean, it, and it's amazing. I get to the end of the day and it feels like almost every day I'm like, I did not get half of what accomplished I wanted to accomplish. But it, it is, it's it's kind of like I, I expressed it to one of my friends the other day. I just feel like I'm moving in a big vat of molasses or something. You know, like I just, mm-hmm. things are taking me twice as long to do um, and, uh, you know, getting at ap- acclimated to working from home and not kind of having that office to escape to is is really challenging
1: yeah no i yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling that for me it's gotta it comes you know if I feel emotionally strongly about something, then the writing tends to flow from there, but if I just sit down and and try to write or you know try to carve out time and say, okay, I'm gonna write this hour you know it's I need to. There needs to be some emotional hook that that pushes me forward.
0: Well, this book is packed full of emotional hooks. <laughs> and I, I would recommend it to anyone. I, I know that you can order, um, and it's called again, Fury, Women's Lived Experiences During the Trump Era, edited by Amy Roost and Alyssa Hirschfeld. Um, I know you can order it at Regal House Publishing. Um, I would mm-hmm. also recommend contacting your independent bookstores. Um, But you also said that Amazon and uh, is another outlet that individuals could order the book from. It is. We're
1: encouraging people to order it directly from Regal house because we want to again, support our independent press, but uh, yes, it is also on Amazon.
0: Awesome. Well, and we
1: welcome welcome good reviews on Amazon. (laughs) Those are always helpful.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I would encourage anyone that, um, is interested in this topic. If you are feeling that emotional, uh, draw, uh, to this type of topic, I would certainly recommend it for anyone, but thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been such a joy talking to you. Thank you. It was really
1: fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Great. And thank you for listening to Off Our Next.